Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. Today's episode is part two of my talk with Dr. Mitch Geffner, a pediatric endocrinologist, and we are going to talk about puberty. Puberty is interesting because while we've all been through it, it's easy to forget a lot about it. So in this episode, we are going to remind you of it all, like what are the signs of puberty starting? What does a growth spurt look like? And I'm pretty much going to ask him the most common questions I hear in my office as a general pediatrician. Dr. Geffner is truly an expert in the field of pediatric endocrinology, and I'm so grateful to have him on as a guest. Also, if you are enjoying Ask Dr. Jessica, I would be so grateful if you would rate, review, and subscribe, as your support is what helps this podcast grow. And if there's a topic that you'd ever like me to cover, feel free to send me an email, askdrjessicamd at gmail.com, and I will be happy to try to answer your questions. So Dr. Geffner, before we start talking about normal puberty, I wanted to ask you about a concern I hear often from parents. Um, is it true that puberty is really starting earlier now than it did in the past? And if that's the case, why, why would that be? There are two general uh, theories that are invoked to answer that question. So one of them is there's direct temporal association with the start of the obesity epidemic when puberty started earlier. That gets to your question, Jessica. So um, uh, when you have more fat because you're overweight, um, there is a hormone produced in fat that talks to the brain, that stimulates puberty. Um, it's the same hormone that goes away when, for example, a teenage girl with anorexia nervosa loses her, her, her puberty. It's called leptin, L-E-P-T-I-N. It's made in fat. And so the fat that we all have to one degree or another, it's not inert at doing things. Fat produces over 100 hormones. So there is a connection then between fat and the regulation of puberty. And so that's a pretty logical theory. And I mean, it's not 100% proven, but, but that's probably the best one. The other one, of course, uh, which I get from parents in, the, you know, in like Beverly Hills or Malibu and maybe in Agoura, I don't know, is, oh, it's something in the environment. You know, it's, uh, it's in the soil. It's in the hamburger meat. It's in the shampoos. But the, the fact of the matter is, that the concentrations, well, first of all, these things barely have any estrogen. What they have are chemicals in them, which are estrogen-like, but the concentrations are so minuscule. You'd have to, you know, uh, eat 300 hamburgers or, or, you know, be an ostrich in the soil all day long. I mean, there's it, not enough in there to do this, but it's a normal human response to want to blame the environment or, you know, because, I mean, there are toxins in the environment. Don't get me wrong. There are terrible toxins right. in the environment. Aaron Brockovich told us that, um, you know, um, so, uh, but I don't, the evidence to support the relationship of any of those chemicals to pubertal timing is, is weak. I'm not saying it's zero, but it's weak. So I think personally, it's the, it's the, it's, it's the, the body fat connection that is the stronger one. Interesting. So I get a lot of questions about puberty um, and so I just wanted to go over with you what is normal, what's expected for both males and females in terms of when it starts, how long it lasts for, um, because they are very different from, from boys and girls. For sure. Yeah. So let me, let me sort of give you my, my, uh, puberty one-on-one presentation here in two minutes. Um, so, um, girls start before boys, girls end before boys in most cases. 
Um, so the, the average age of the start of puberty in girls um, is between nine and a half and 10. And that's typically breast development. Boys, it's so the start. About, so sorry, just sorry, just to clarify mm-hmm. for parents. So the start of puberty for female, you'll see breasts breast start bud. to form, or you'll see what will parents notice? Breast buds, or a girl might say, "Oh, it hurts here because there's something under." She just noticed it's stretching the skin. And I get a lot of like worries. It's oh my god, this pain. It's like cancer. You know, it's normal when a breast first forms. It's not. It's not been there before, and so this overlying skin has to stretch to accommodate it. And there are nerve endings in that skin. And so, the, you know, if the, uh, the girl might notice it, um, you know, or she gets hit with a soccer ball in the chest and she's gotten hit a hundred times before. And now it suddenly hurts and she looks there and she's going to bump there. And then, so it's the breast bud at, at 10 or nine and a half. And sometimes it starts on one side and not cement, and it's not on the other side. And the parents really freak out because they think that's cancer too. Um, but that's probably the norm. It's not going to be perfectly the symmetrical and start on the same, you know, day. And sometimes one develops faster than the other. That's, I, I joke around. It doesn't mean you're going to be a camel. Um, you know, a different, it's, it just takes time for things to even out. And in most cases, it, it does. But the breast bud is the first thing. 85% of the time in girls, 15% of the time it's pubic hair. Um, but what's, what's really happening, and, and we have no way to detect this, with, if, as is truly the, if you were taking, an, if you were taking an exam and they wanted to give you a trick question, the first sign, if you will, of female puberty is enlargement of the ovaries. Oh. But we don't have any ability to determine that without an ultrasound machine. So, because the ovaries is where the estrogen comes from. And they have to get a little more mature to produce that estrogen, which then goes to the breast. And ultimately, two and a quarter years later, uh, goes to the uterus in sufficient amounts, uh, along with progesterone, that you get the first period um, known as menarche. So that's typically at about 12 and a half years 12 years, two months in African-American girls, 12 years, eight months in Caucasian girls, 12 and a half if you don't pay attention to race. And and what is the range of normal? Because there is quite a quite a difference. Yeah, plus, or, plus or minus 2.5 years. So a girl, wow. if, she's, if a girl's 14 years and 11 months, she's still within that window. And probably if it was 15 years, one month, and it happened, wouldn't mean there was anything wrong. I mean, these are just rough statistical gauges. So doing the math here just for, for parents listening, because this comes up so much where it's so, um, I think it's, I don't know if stressful is the right word, but when you start to see changes in your young children, all of a sudden they're eight or nine and you see signs of puberty and you wonder, is this normal? They seem so young to me. But if you're saying, let's say a girl is eight and a half and it's two years and a quarter till she gets her period, that puts her over yeah. 10 years old. That's in the range of normal, correct? Yeah. Correct. Although sometimes when you start super early, you don't necessarily uh, get the period as early as that you might think using that that uh, math that you just did. You may. Um, but yeah, parents, uh, they get like very concerned. Hey, I call it the gray zone for a girl of, of eight, of, of let's say seven to eight years, because we use a cutoff of eight. If it, anything happens before eight in a girl, any aspect of you recall that early. Between seven and eight is when most of those happen. And they're probably not going to turn out to be anything. But if if you see one pubic hair, if you see uh, you know a girl who's got chest development of a thirteen year old, 
even though she might be in the in the age when it's okay, it's it's not just when it happens; it's how fast it happens. Okay. See, there, again, it's all everything in endocrinology is the rate, it's the speed with which these events occur. That when, when everything is either faster, higher, taller, whatever, uh, too fast, that's when you always have to be more concerned. Something starts at a little in a funky age and just slithering along, and not much is happening. You know, six months later, you have this two pubic hairs, whereas there used to be one. Mm, not probably going to be anything. But if, right. you, if, if it looks like a carpet, that's a different story. Right. <laughs> now, what about um, genetics? Like, if, if a mother got her period for the first time mm-hmm. at twelve, would we expect a similar pattern with her with her daughters? Usually, usually the, the just the, all aspects of puberty. Including the beginning of it, the breast development, and the end of it, the first period. There's, there's a strong genetic influence. And then As, when do girls stop growing? Okay, so the typical girl stops growing or has achieved most of her growth. About 96.5% when she gets her first period. If she gets her first period at the right age, let's say 12 and a half. Um, there will be roughly between ages 13 and 15, or 12 and a half and 15, maybe another inch and a half, two inches if you're lucky, more if your parents are taller, um, that will occur, but it's at a much slower rate. So girls, they will get their growth spurt of puberty almost, it will begin essentially the day that breast development is evident. And it will, let's just say for like 10 and a half to 13, they'll, that's when they get their growth spurt. At 13, their growth spurt's over. They've got their period a couple of times and they're, grow, they're going to go into this sort of slowdown of their growth. So at the age of 13, a girl has gotten that spurt and a boy hasn't started his spurt yet. Because boys have to be in puberty for a year and a half. They have to have enough uh growth of their testicles, which is where the testosterone that causes their growth spurt comes from. And so at 13, it's not uncommon to see girls tower over boys. For those of you who've been to a party where there's 13-year-olds, you know, like a bar mitzvah, that sort of thing, um, you know, the girl's here and the boy is, you know, here and they put the music on, the dancing's supposed to happen and they're kind of staring you know, like, oh my God, this is the creepiest thing ever. And I can never figure out if they actually do dance, who's more uncomfortable, the, the short boy or the tall, relatively tall girl. But this uh, is... This Dr. Is Geffner, you're, you're taking me back to awkward bar mitzvah days. <laughs> well, you know, nothing's changed. I think a lot of people listening can relate how that's a definite awkward time in, in childhood. Yeah, terribly awkward. Terribly. Terribly awkward. So, okay, so the girls, um, once they get, once they go through menarche and they have their first menses, they'll grow maybe a couple of inches. Um, Can we compare that to boys? I know you mentioned that, um, you you started to talk about it, how... Right, so the start of puberty in boys is about a year later than it is in girls. So about uh, 10, 10 and a half. And the first sign of puberty in a male is enlargement of the testicles, and that can be determined if somebody looks. Um, and um, the boy usually doesn't know this, or is not aware of this happening at the beginning. The parents are not aware. They're waiting, the boy and the family, are, they're waiting for hair, pubic hair. And that usually happens about six months into 
puberty defined again as a, a little bit of enlargement of the testicles. And, you know, the, we have we have devices to measure the testicle size. People call them the beads. Um, the medical term for that is called an orchidometer. You can actually get one online if it's something you really want. Um, but um, It looks like a necklace. You can disguise it as a necklace. Yeah, was, some people have called it rosary beads. Um, <laughs> I, I've heard that before. Um, so, but... You can actually, you know, we hold it up side by side with the testicle and we match it up to the, the volume that it most closely looks like. They're, they're shaped like eggs, basically. Um, and so you can determine that and you can know when somebody's in puberty, basically. But you have to be in puberty for about 18 months as a boy before you'll get your growth spurt, starting around the age of 13. And then you'll, you know, the, the bigger the growth spurt, regardless of a boy or a girl, is, is governed by the t- taller the parent. You get more growth in a growth spurt if you have taller parents than if you don't. And, um, and when you say a growth spurt, what's what's the typical inch range we're talking about? Okay. Well, it usually doubles. So you're looking at up to four inches per year for two years, maybe three and a half. Wow. I mean, again, it's a range because it's genetically regulated. So taller parents, their kids will have bigger growth spurts. And they did too, whether they knew it or not. A generation back, the parents of your parents didn't bring their kids to the doctor for this sort of thing. This has really, there's been a huge sort of change in, in priorities, I guess, of, or, or let's say recognition of growth issues. And um, eh, some of it's driven by, by sports and stuff like that. But um, it's, uh, it's interesting. And, and to this day, the majority of patients, uh, and it's not right, who come or are referred for short stature are boys. So this reflects, this is, by the way, there's the same number of short girls in our society as there are short boys if you use a statistical definition. It's not different. But the referral pattern, the referral bias is different and it's not changed. Um, uh, for I, I don't know why exactly, but we, we definitely see more boys referred. I think the reality is... Right. In society, there's much more um, focus on male height. Yeah. So I guess it is. There shouldn't be, but there is. It sh- right, right. Um, I agree. There shouldn't be, but there is. Um, and so, and when do boys stop growing? So is there a chance they go to college and they continue to grow? Or when can parents expect that their children will stop no. growing? So the male growth spurt, as I mentioned, starts at 13 and ends at 15. So it's, it's two years, just like in girls, but it's two years later. Between 15 and 18, there will be another two to two and a half inches of growth. But if you think about that, it's like one inch per year. When the, in the middle of your growth spurt, you're growing four inches per year. It's, all, it's relatively imperceptible. Mm, okay. So it's still happening, but the greatest rate of growth is between typically 13 right. and 15. Right. Okay. One thought that just crossed my mind, and I don't know um, – this idea of growth hormone and growth hormone injections. Oh my gosh, we didn't talk about that. So a lot right. of parents, you know, if, if they have shorter children and they mm-hmm. ask me, are growth hormones warranted? Are there side effects? What can we expect from growth hormones? Right. What should parents know about growth hormones? When should they, what should their expectation be? Right. So, so growth hormone, and it's actually in the singular, um, um, has been around um, in its current form since December of 1985. And when I say its current form, I mean uh, genetically engineered. It was the second genetically engineered medication after insulin, if you're interested in a little bit of history. 
Um, so 1985 to come 2025 will be 40 years of history soon. So we're, you know, three years shy of it, 37 years. So we know a lot about growth hormone in terms of how it works, its safety. Um, and uh, a fair number of its original users are, have now have their own children. So we know sort of into the second generation, if you will. Um, and I think that's really important because, we, we, you know, a genetically engineered drug was like a, a just a, a complete new thing and novelty. And um, I think, you know, people uh, at the beginning, like they are with other new things, are sometimes afraid, you know, to give it to their children. Um, but uh, it's passed the, the test of time. So um, there's now, um, eight products on the market, and there's, if you count, uh, there's, there's about 11 indications, so some of which are not in children, some of which have nothing to do with growth, but um, the obvious indication is growth hormone deficiency, but in order to have growth hormone deficiency, you have to have slow growth, you have to have a significantly delayed bone age, and you have to have some other laboratory abnormalities uh, to confirm that diagnosis. Um, and it works the best in that, because you're giving back what's not there. Um, and you don't, you don't even have to get a lot, just a whiff, and you, the kids grow like crazy. And very recently, the newest product, uh, growth hormone product, just came on the market um, in October or November of last year, um, which is um, different from the all of the existing ones. All of the existing ones are daily subcutaneous under-the-skin injections uh, for umpteen years. This one is a once-a-weeker. So in, in a year, instead of 365 injections, it's 52 injections. Um, and so it's the first, and there's two others coming soon, so there will be competition. But in any event, uh, one of the, so the, the indication for which it's most commonly prescribed is called idiopathic short stature. I think that's what you're alluding to. So that's short stature uh, for no apparent reason, which really means in many cases because it's just genetic and runs in the family. Um, and it's... It's defined. The, the FDA criteria for that are that the um, heights have to be below effectively the first percentile consistently, so really short, um, and the predicted height. This is based on where the child is on the growth chart and the degree of bone age delay. For a, a boy, has to be five four or less, and a girl has to be, uh, or excuse me, less than five four, and for a girl has to be less than four eleven. So if you're just going to be a late bloomer. They don't want you because you can get there anyway. Um, and in the old days when those criteria, some, I don't know, 17 years ago, I think, roughly when it was first approved for this, um, you know, drug companies just sort of checked the box and said, do it. Now, you, you, if you can get it, it's maybe 25 to 50 percent of the time is the best you can do because um, I think it's resource driven to some extent. Um, and there's also not a lot of huge amount of data that shows that it actually works. That's the biggest one. Um, yes. So, um, uh, you know, in fact, I think you, don't, you, you can't really even use the limited data that are out there. You have to do each child individually, which means then you have to have a trial, which means you then have to take it all the way to the end or you don't know. So this is very complicated. But um, I would say that, um, you, you know, in, in many pediatric endocrinology practices, this is the... Um, number one reason for which growth hormone is prescribed. It's not, I'm not going to get into okay. right or wrong. Um, you know, ethicists will tell you, oh, if you got all that money and you, you want to buy it, 
why don't you, you should just spend it on therapy for yourself and your child uh, and not on growth hormone. Right. I, I'm being a little bit sarcastic here, but you, you, if you read articles in the New York Times magazine section a few years ago, this is exactly what it says. So um, it, it, how much it, tight it, are we talking about? Let's say they take the subcutaneous once a week injection. What's, what's well, the actual? That one, one I don't know because the, the studies didn't go to, to final height. They were only for like, uh, okay. you know, a year height velocity, which was comparable. In fact, even slightly better than daily growth hormones. I don't know. With daily growth hormone, you know, it, it, it's very variable, um, but it's in the range of, you know, three inches maybe. But for some people, okay. you know, five, four to five, seven in a boy, maybe that's important, you know. Um, right. I, it's, I, not, I, I, it's not a half an inch. Yeah, if it was half an inch, uh, we wouldn't be talking about this. You just don't know in a given child unless you do it. But the good news is about a growth hormone trial is if you're going to get a response, you get it right away. You know right away. So in the first six months, that height will go, you know, and if it doesn't, you know, like double the rate, um, then it's not going to six months later. See, that's, and just so to that's, make it clear for parents listening, once your child's gone through puberty, it's too late. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I get some people come in and say, my child's in puberty. I was told to come in now. No, you want to come in before puberty. Okay. The, the, here's the reason. The, in, in normal circumstances, the more growth you get before puberty, the taller you're going to be. Even though you get a growth spurt with puberty, puberty still marks the beginning of the end. So you want to be the yes. tallest you can possibly be before puberty. Right. So what would the ideal time be to come see you? Maybe what age range would you say? Well, it depends on when the growth issue first comes up. But, you know, I would say certainly, you know, between five and ten. I mean, under five for this is tough on the kid because of the needles and, and all. But um, so I, I'd say five yes. to ten. And, you don't, you know, also part of the equation is how is a child functioning in the world? And it's hard to know a three-year-old or four-year-old's functioning compared to other kids in, in terms of you know, social things. It's harder. Now, out of curiosity, I'm not sure what you're going to say about this, but do you have a lot of referrals for transgender children that are looking to change how they, uh, you know, before puberty, how they grow and, and the hormones involved? Are you, do you play a role in that at all in your clinics? Um, at Ch Children's Hospital, we don't. Uh, the transgender okay. program is housed in adolescent medicine. But that's not true, for example, at, at UCSF or at, in Boston Children. So it, it depends on the on the on the um, uh, institution. And you go, you're going into a whole other complicated area no, about hormonal uh, manipulation and, and surgery that um, is super controversial these days. In uh, younger that's children. I, was I mean, more just out of curiosity, if you were having any getting any of that pressure on your end to make those kinds of decisions. Um. <laughs> We, we will be shortly. Let me put it to you that way. There have been conversations, but but uh, the surgical programs related, for example, to I mean, we're getting off base a little to children who have yeah. um, a, a, the born with genitalia that you can't tell if they're male or female, that whole thing. The programs for surgery uh, in uh, children who can't consent have been shut down at Harvard and at uh, Northwestern, just so you're aware. Wow. Due to due to pressure from advocacy groups. Dr. Geffner, I so appreciate you coming on here. I, I value so much of what you have to say. And I know that so many people listening will really appreciate all of this information. So thank you mm -hmm. so much. My pleasure. Anytime.